According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me, if you would, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 7. We're still in the introduction, and we're not going to be handling these verses in their entirety. We're just going to scan them for some vocabulary studies this morning. This is our eighth and final point of introduction, and then when we conclude these uh, vocabulary studies, then we will uh, begin the actual expository development of chapter one, and obviously that would include going back to verses two through seven and uh, introducing the book that way. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, and then the purpose for the entire book, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. All of that from two through six forms the purpose for this composition, the purpose for writing it, the purpose for studying it. And then the the summary in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that verse uh, ties together the entire um, preface of the uh, collection, as well as, I think, setting the table for the book that follows to highlight the fact that you got a choice. Uh, This is a fork in the road. Uh, Proverbs is set before you. You can either humble yourself to the wisdom of the Lord or be a fool. And uh, each road has its outcome. But the choice is yours to, uh, to face the consequences for the heavenly wisdom or earthly wisdom that you choose to pursue. It's one or the other on an absolute basis. And that's what we're going to be seeing as we proceed through this text. All right, before we get started, let's take time for silent prayer. Ask God the Father to sanctify our thinking and to humble us under the authority of his word. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and we rejoice in your faithfulness that uh, this time as every time, Father, your faithfulness is on display when you uh, provide for the word of God to go forth in this lampstand. Father, you uh, provide abundantly as uh, brothers and sisters are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Father, and you have uh, prepared a, a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Father, I just thank you that we can feast upon your truth, a little here, a little there, Father, your word is nourishing, it sustains us, it strengthens us, it encourages us. And Father, I just thank you once again that on this occasion, uh, you are going to open the eyes of our understanding. You are going to uh, guide us into the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so last week we um, got through points six and seven whereby we uh, continued from the week before, actually, to look at the New Testament quotations and allusions, and uh, then moved on to point seven. In fact, we made handouts for these, right? We have handouts for these? Distributed those already? Okay. Do we have extras, in case folks were not here? All right. Um, A handout for the New Testament quotations and allusions, as well as, under point seven, the themes of Proverbs. And I used a couple of charts from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. And I've uh, made no secret over the years that uh, I appreciate the Bible Knowledge Commentary. There's an Old Testament volume and a New Testament volume, a two-volume set. I think it was put out by Dallas Seminary maybe 30 years ago, a long time ago. Um, uh, Maybe in the early 90s to late 80s, about that time frame. And uh, so there's two separate charts. We looked at those last week and made handouts of those as well. the positive and negative topics, and other subjects in Proverbs. And I thought this was a pretty good table. Um, It's it's found, if you have a copy of the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it's found in the introduction to the book of Proverbs. Uh, But in the contrast between the wise and the fool, we saw it already here in verse 7. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And time and time and time again throughout the book of Proverbs, the, the way of the wisdom and the way of the fool is going to be contrasted. Likewise, the righteous with the wicked. Again, two paths. Which one are you going to walk down? Life and death. Knowledge and ignorance. Um, work versus laziness. Different aspects there. We're going to hit it hard. Every one of these comes up again and again and again throughout the book of Proverbs. So anyway, there's a handout there, and uh, we made that available last week. Likewise, the second chart, which is uh, found, if you're reading through the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it's found at Proverbs 6.24. So uh, you get to that point, and uh, this table is going to be in there. With respect to words and speaking, the aspect of wisdom is not just simply something mental, something internal, something that you have in your thinking. Yes, you have it in your thinking, but because you have it in your thinking, you are then able to express it in your speaking, and you're able to reflect it in your working, in your doing, all right? Wisdom is not just this, uh, you know, knowledge that you have internalized, knowledge that you have in your mind or in your soul, uh, and then when that knowledge is, is, uh, is brought across into wisdom, we're going to study why, why is there a difference between knowledge and wisdom? What, what do these terms uh, indicate? Well, they're going to, they should be expressed in your words. And the words you use will, be, uh, will make very clear the mode of, of uh, wisdom that you're following, either God's wisdom or the world's wisdom. All right? if, if your words are designed to be divisive and hurtful, that's the world's wisdom. But if your words are um, healing and, and a blessing, then that's God's wisdom. Well, stay tuned for that. All right. So the wrong use of words includes lying, slandering, gossiping, constant talking, false witness, mocking. The right use of words includes those that help and encourage, those that express wisdom, though, uh, words that are few. Sometimes the, the wisest thing you can do is just shut up, <laughs> all right? Uh, keep, it, keep the words to a minimum. Don't say too much. I could go on and on to illustrate that point, but that would probably defeat the purpose. Um, words that are fitting, in other words, kind or appropriate, Pleasant, words that are true, words that are carefully chosen. Anyway, those handouts are also, uh, that handout is also available. And thank you, Dan, for making those available. Which gets us now to point eight, the final point of our introduction, specific terms for wisdom and understanding. And basically, I've just gleaned these out of uh, chapter one, verses two through seven, because they're all featured right here in the introduction, and then they're going to be featured again and again and again in uh, the remainder of the book. So we start, obviously, with wisdom itself. Wisdom terminology. Wisdom terminology. So subpoint A is wisdom. We're going to have A, B, C, D, E, F. Six different things we're going to look at. Wisdom terminology. And for this, we have the verb chakam, or chakam, the adjective chakam, and the noun chakma. This is the family of terms that we have in the Hebrew starting with Chakam, C-H-A-K-A-M, if you want to transliterate that. Number 2449 in your Strong's uh, Concordance. And this is your verb, and the verb means to be wise, to have wisdom. And then the adjective, Chakam, for, for wise, sometimes used substantively as a noun, but Chakam, C-H-A-K-A-M, number 2450. And then you add the A-H ending to it, the feminine ending to it, to make it a noun, chachma, C-H-O-K-M-A-H. And those are my transliterations. I realize some folks may do something different. I think Glenn Allen may have slightly different, depending on how he handles his comets uh, and his comets hatuf. In any event, chachma, C-H-O-K-M-A-H, which has two Strong's numbers, actually, number 2451 and 2454 for... Uh, different reasons there. Anyway, these expressions between the verb, the adjective, and the uh, noun, we've got 136 uses throughout the book of Proverbs. 136 uses throughout the book. Spread those between your 31 chapters, and what do you got? Multiple uses per chapter, all right? Practically every chapter when it comes down to it. Chakam, chacham, and chachmah. Those are our three terms. If you do use the Logos software, I can highlight a couple of things for us here. Um, it is fairly simple to right-click a term and uh, select its lemma there and 
search the book so you can get a verse list. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do a word study while I'm at it, though. There we go. So right here in a thumbnail, we can see 149 uses. This is all throughout the Old Testament, by the way, not limited to Proverbs. The vast majority of places where it's translated is it's translated wisdom, only in a very small sense. And this wheel, if you ever use these wheels, you have it in your app too, and if you have a, an Apple app or an Android app and so forth, the, uh, this wheel here is proportional. So no matter what the number is, the number is 149, the number could be 5, it could be 50, whatever the number is, it doesn't matter, because the, the wheel is going to be drawn on a proportional basis. And so the, the vast bulk of the 149 times, it's translated wisdom. It's only in the minority of times is where it's translated skill, or where it's translated wisely, or at their wit's end. Okay, Different ways that uh, a passage may use it idiomatically. 139 out of the 149 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, it's, uh, it's simply, chachma is simply rendered um, wisdom. We're talking about the noun now. All right. Um, the one place where it's, oh, there it is, three times, wisely. And then at their wit's end is in Psalm 107.27. Okay. Anyway, these are the fun things you can do with the color wheels, with the word wheels, and uh, track these things down. You also, by the way, can uh, use this word um, report, Bible word study report, to find the cognate forms. And that's a little bit below the, uh, the wheel portion here where you have the root. And here you've got a total of five terms that all come off of that chakam root. Remember, Hebrew has basically three radicals, uh, consonants in every, in every word. And so based off the, the cheth, the, the kaf, and the maim, you've got these expressions here, including chakma, the one we're looking at right now. That's why that's bold. But also chakam, uh, these other terms that we have here, and showing you where they're used. Anyway, these are the, some of the fun things that we do and then uh, we can put them together. We can search for chacham. We can search for um, any of them. And each one you click on is going to open up its own wheel there. So after we've spent uh, all day long reading through the 149 uses of chachma, we come back and we look at the 137 uses of chacham. <laughs> and we can spend another day doing that. All right. Or uh, to really save time, you can put them together in a single search and uh, combine them accordingly. Anyway, there's different things that you can do with that. This is the kind of thing we can be doing next Wednesday morning and start showing some of these other features too. All right. Let me get a basic definition of wisdom here. Wisdom is knowledge that is put into practice. Knowledge that's put into practice. And so it's, it's the how-to kind of knowledge. Uh, it's not just knowing facts. It's not just information. Um, people can have an awful lot of knowledge and not use any of it. Uh, they, can, they can have a tremendous amount of knowledge and still make bad choices in life. All right? They know that uh, they're not supposed to marry an unbeliever. Uh, that's knowledge. All right? But they fail to put that knowledge into practice. They fail to apply wisdom. And so they end up making bad choices. And that's the difference. Knowledge does not guarantee that you make good choices. Wisdom does, if you embrace the wisdom, if you submit to the wisdom. And as uh, we're going to see time and time and time again, there's that counterfeit wisdom that's out there, that competing wisdom, the wisdom of this world that lays itself out there as an, as a, uh, as an alternative. And then it becomes the volitional challenge. Which wisdom do we submit to? Which wisdom do we, and if we have the fear of the Lord, then we submit to the right wisdom. It comes down to that same attitude, that fear of the Lord attitude that's going to keep us from Satan's wisdom in that, in that application. All right. Um, I think if we were to, let's just do a couple of these. If we were to search for this wisdom, let's do a root search, get all these terms this resource. Oh, that's not good. Huh. See, I should have prepared for this. All right, we'll do the Lemma search. There we go. 
And we'll do a lemma search here. And then we'll combine them. That way they show up in the same report and they show up in the same list. All right. And we'll make our life a little bit simpler while we're at it too. We'll limit it to uh, simply Proverbs. That way we don't get lost with hundreds and hundreds of verses that we're looking at in uh, the entire Old Testament. That's going to be too small, isn't it? Can we make this window bigger too? We can. All right. So right there in chapter 1, we've got verse 2, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. To know wisdom and instruction. That's our first use right there in verse 2. To know chachma and instruction. Uh, to discern the sayings of understanding. Then we get to verse 5. A wise man. A chacham man. A wise man. That is somebody who has taken custody of chachma. How do you become wise? All right. How, how, how are you assigned wisdom? How do you make it your own? I mean, wisdom just is what it is. And uh, how do you acquire it? That's, that's the mark of wisdom, is how you get it and how you get more. All right. Uh, the words of the wise, chacham. And then verse 7, fools despise chachma, wisdom and instruction. And so this is a way when you put your word search together and you can get a complete verse list of uh, how these expressions are used, you can see them, you can very quickly scan through them, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Um, if you like the graphs, you can graph them. And how about that? They're all in Proverbs. Let's look at the chapter. There we go. I'd like to pop this out too. But, I mean, effectively, it's every chapter of Proverbs. Look how overwhelming it is. All right? Is, the, is there a chapter that doesn't have them? Doesn't have Chakam? Yep. Chapter 6, chapter 19, chapter 27. Those are the only three chapters that don't have either Chachma or Chacham. Either the noun or the uh, verb. All right. Well, if you have any more questions on that, let me know. We'll uh, do that. We're not going to take the time today to read all the verses. We'll be handling those as we come to them in the text. All right. Beyond wisdom, we have understand. Uh, we have uh, instruction. To know wisdom and instruction. It's put right up front in verse 2. We have wisdom terminology. We have instruction terminology. Before we even get to the sayings of understanding, before we get to the wise behavior in any of the rest of this, we have instruction terminology. And this is where uh, I think churches of our tradition... Um, Excel, and this is where I think a lot of non-disciples or a lot of potential disciples fall short. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Because instruction is difficult. Instruction is disciplined instruction. It's not uh, simply a, an academic exercise. So the instruction terminology includes the verb yasser. Yasser, Y-A-C-A-R when you transliterate it. Yasser, number 3256. And ultimately speaking, Yasser means to discipline. It means to discipline. That's the primary sense. Instruction becomes a secondary or an extension of that. It's a disciplined instruction. Think about what you learn through discipline. What you learn through the um, child training of a loving parent that holds you to standards, that holds you to expectations. That, that assigns consequences when you don't walk the right way. So the verb yasser means to discipline, to chasten, or to admonish. And then the, the noun that's formed from yasser is musar, M-U-W-C-A-R. M-U-W-C-A-R. You add the main prefix in front of the verb yasser and you form your noun. 
And so musar means discipline or chastening or correction. But it's instructive correction. That's what it's designed to do. The parental discipline, whether it's God's discipline upon his children or our discipline upon our children or so forth, or discipline that we go through in life, discipline is designed to teach us, to teach us to not do that again, (laughs) to teach us to make better choices. These are the lessons learned the hard way and often done in love, always done in love, ideally. Okay, Our Father always will discipline us in love. 35 times in Proverbs that we have yaser and musar, that we have the verb to admonish or to chasten or to discipline. Because you understand that this is what keeps a child on the right track. If you don't discipline your child, what's he going to do? There you go. 35 times in Proverbs. Also, the uh, Septuagint uses here throughout Proverbs and then carry into the New Testament include the paideia terminology. In the Greek, you have paiduo and paideia. And these may be terms that you're more familiar with because of their New Testament usages. As I said, I think we're probably more familiar with uh, some of the uh, New Testament passages than the Proverbs passages unless you have a, uh, a Bible reading plan or you have a, a, you've been in the habit of reading Proverbs. All right. Some folks are. They use Proverbs on a devotional basis or Psalms and Proverbs in their personal reading. Um, but I've never taught Psalms and Proverbs on a, on a categorical basis, verse by verse, uh, until, until now. So Ephesians 6.4, Hebrews, all the passages that deal with child training, uh, 2 Timothy, the profitability of the Word of God. This is what we deal with when we deal with how the Word of God instructs us. It disciplines us. It trains us. It is a disciplined instruction. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, in, in, in large part, um, I'm, I'm almost um, disliking the English translation of instruction, only because to me that's so sterile, it's so um, neutral, so academic, that I'm sitting in a class and I'm writing notes down, I'm receiving instruction. All right. The, the, these terms definitely refer to the chastisement, the discipline, the, the hard, uh, hard knocks lesson learned, as it were. All right. Look at some of these. Uh, Paiduo is the verb 3811, and Paideia is the noun 3809. Uh, those are Strong's, uh, Greek Strong's numbers. Remember, there's a separate listing for the Greek words and a separate listing for the uh, Hebrew words. Ephesians 6. What's happening in Ephesians 6? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. This is our imperative, parents. Okay, Fathers includes men and women, (laughs) fathers and mothers. Parents, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And here we've got uh, two terms, including the paideia, the discipline, the nurture, and the admonition or the instruction of the Lord. And this is the, the, the loving discipline that we hold our children to. When they, when they are not walking right, they face the consequences for it. And that, too, reinforces the uh, Scripture standard that you are holding them to. Over to Hebrews, Hebrews 12. Ultimately speaking, as we look at these things, particularly in these early chapters, we see the, my son, my son, pay heed to your father, do not ignore your mother, all the admonitions that come, we recognize that the wisdom blessings of the Scriptures are foundational, that we can instill these in our children in their youth, that... um, even in our spiritual youth, as brand new believers, this becomes a remarkable passage of Scripture to take young Christians through. So they understand their role as sons of God, as daughters of God. Their new role as being no longer uh, walking according to the course of this age. Right, Hebrews 12. Um, as we consider him, we have the great hall of fame of faith in chapter 11 and every Old Testament example of people we want to imitate And then uh, beyond all that, we have Jesus, (laughs) okay? The pinnacle of any Old Testament example. Since we have such a uh, 
so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. We have doctrinal teaching. We have biblical examples. We have no excuse for how we conduct our lives. That uh, sin thing, the entanglements, we've got to cast that off. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And here's the best example of all. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the prime example of the walk of wisdom. He kept his eyes fixed on that for which the Father designed for him, the prize set before him. He maintained his fear of the Lord. He kept his eyes focused where they need to be. And he had victory in his Christian walk. Same as that's the pattern for us. So consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is, uh, of course, a big issue. A lot of people start out well. They, they got like the stony ground circumstance. They start out well until testing starts hitting. And then there's heat and then there's pressure. And then there's, well, the volitional battle. And a lot of folks peel away at that point. No, don't do that. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus as he kept his eyes fixed on uh, the joy set before him. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin, uh, particularly the audience that the author was writing to. They'd gone through some things. It had not been, been kind of limited. They, uh, they'd been tested to a point, but not to the point of martyrdom. He's trying to get them ready that says, you know, that day could be coming. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline the paideia, the discipline of the Lord, all right? Or as would be rendered in the book of Proverbs, the um, musar. Do not regard lightly the musar of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Or as, uh, again, if this was in Proverbs, yaser, when he disciplines, chastens, or admonishes you. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Paiduo. He treats you as a son and he disciplines you accordingly. He does this in love. Failure to discipline reflects an absence of love. This is the pathetic thing when you have permissive parents that think they're applying love and they're doing just the opposite. They are manifesting an absence of agape love. They're actually reflecting a satanic cosmos wisdom as it applies to what the world defines as love. Could be anything but, right? (laughs) I don't believe I need a whole lot of illustration to convince this audience that uh, the world has a perverted definition of love in every facet of how they apply it. All right. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. For the purpose of, but also, I believe, the result of discipline that you endure. We learn how to endure, and as we learn to endure our Father's loving discipline, we are very equipped to endure this world's uh, afflictions, this world's undeserved suffering, and the other things the world wants to hit, hit us with. You know, we just uh, we bear up under it. We endure it. We keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and, and uh, trust that He knows what He's doing and taking us through this. And uh, find out how much better you are in enduring the undeserved suffering because you've endured the divine discipline. All right. But if you're without discipline, let me back up. Uh, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, that's a rhetorical question, but it demands an answer, and we better be clear on what that answer is. That's that's the whole point of what's being made here. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Well, we've already seen discipline is a love application, so we can answer this quite evidently in this context. A son without love, a son whom the father does not love, a son, perhaps an illegitimate son, whom the father does not acknowledge. Because if he disciplined that child... That would be an admission on the father's part that, uh, that that's my child. All right. But by not disciplining that child, the, uh, the, um, the, that bastard child, 
which this passage uses the, the terminology for, all right? By not disciplining that child, the father who is denying paternity continues to deny paternity. He does so through his words. He does so through his actions. As far as that father is concerned, not my child. Somebody else has to deal with that. And so it is a denial of paternity. It is a denial of, of, of acknowledging the legitimacy of that birth. It denies any kind of a love connection. It denies any responsibility. It also denies any destiny. Because if you're not my child, you have no part in my inheritance, no part in my estate, no part in my uh, in in, in uh, the 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 will, as it were. You're not even in the will. Who are you? You're in somebody else's family. You're not my child. So if you are, so what child? What son is there whom his father does not discipline? The bastard, the illegitimate son, or somebody else's son. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> Verse 8 made my point. Better than I did, probably. All right? Because that's Scripture. If you are without discipline, ask yourself why. And ask yourself, wait a minute. You know, I think a tremendous number, I, I, I have to believe, this passage has reached an awful lot of folks that um, we're holding to a form of godliness while denying its power. That the reality of this truth hit an awful lot of believers that, um, you know, were churchgoers, they were kind of cultural Christians, uh, but never really understood the gospel, never placed their faith in Christ, never trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And then all of a sudden they start looking around them and they don't understand why their fellow churchgoers are disciplined in the way that they are. Well, why am I not under this discipline? Why, why do I seem to go along with the world's system so well? And it becomes a red flag. If you are without discipline, here's what you are. All right, figure it out. <laughs> this is what Proverbs is going to do for us. Proverbs provides for us the doctrinal information whereby we can then embrace that discipline. We can live out that wisdom and uh, do so academically and experientially as we see God's hand upon us. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. All right? And we respected them. The fact is, I mean, you may not like it while you're going through it, but when it accomplishes what it accomplishes, and when with the right hindsight, you can see the love that was in it. That may be years later. <laughs> Depends on how carnal you are at the time and how long it takes. Okay? As I've said, I've confessed several times, my dad was a, was a moron until my son was born. And then overnight, my dad became a genius. And I started to understand as a father with a child, wait a minute, this kid's a sinner, right? And it uh, takes discipline. And you realize when, when you become a father that there are responsibilities in love towards that, towards that child. Otherwise, he's a monster. And worse, he's your monster, because it's the sins of the Father that he's manifesting. Anyway, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? All right, if you can understand the earthly illustration, then you can take it across into the spiritual realm and, and have an even greater appreciation for our Heavenly Father. That's why he's called God the Father. That's why... Um, in, in when he designed families that way, he assigned the role of father and mother to the parents using the same terminology of his own uh, role within Trinity and within his own role as God towards us. All right. For they disciplined us. Here's a great text for parents. In fact, this would be a good one for Luke and Sarah, brand new parents. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. <laughs> so relax, all right? Pray hard, walk in grace, be, uh, be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, seemed best, <laughs> okay? Um, uh, not entirely certain if it worked or not, but it seemed best. I uh, was sure bathed in a ton of prayer, and uh, you know, 
Uh, was it too much? Was it too little? Um, was it too harsh? Just leave it with the Lord. Make it a matter of prayer. Surrender to Him. Ask His will to be done. Say, Father, if, if it was too harsh, then please modify it. Please work in that. If it was uh, too little, then Father, add to it. <laughs> All right? I'm doing what I'm doing in grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I do what I do. And as a parent, I'm not omniscient. I can't see the end from the beginning. All I can do is make the best decision I can on this day, at this time, under these conditions. And Father, deal with the rest. Anyway, I like the expression, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. In other words, God's not winging it. He's not guessing. He's not pulling his hair out thinking, well, you know, is this too much? Is this too little? Am I making a big deal out of nothing? Um, should I show mercy here? How much mercy? If I, if I, am, I, am I too much of a wimp and they're just going to take advantage of me? You know? Missing curfew by 10 minutes is one thing, but missing curfew by six hours? Are you kidding me? There's got to be consequences there. Um, anyway, sometimes we just, I don't want to say we're winging it, but it just seems best to us based on what we know and with our finite understanding. But he knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the outcome of every choice so that we may share his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yeah, it's not fun to go through. Of course not. It's, it's good for us. That doesn't mean it's enjoyable. That doesn't mean, uh, you know, woo-hoo, I'm having fun with this. Yet to those who have been trained by it, this is the training, what we talk about. This is the instruction. Those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It produces what it has to produce. And it's the only way to get it. That discipline is the only way to produce this kind of fruit. All right. Anyway, it's a favorite passage of mine. It has been for many years. Second Timothy 3.16, our final use here. Second Timothy 3.16. I even had a chance to use that Hebrews passage in the army once with a first lieutenant who was... Uh, assigning me a discipline, assigning a, uh, an extra duty and because uh, I had broken a rule. None of your business what it was. Oh, I, I don't mind. I, I, I went somewhere I wasn't supposed to go. And I, I thought that we were released and we weren't released. So I broke the rules. And I owned up to it. I admitted what I did. I was wrong and I faced discipline. And I thanked him for the discipline. I told him it was a Hebrews 12 application. He said, what are you talking about? All right, 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. And how many Christians want to stop the verse there? Just let me go to Bible class. Let me fill out my notes. Let me get my doctrine. I'll get my instruction. And then we're done, right? That's all there is to it. The rest of it's none of your business. Doctrine of privacy. <laughs> Wait a minute. The verse doesn't stop there. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, that gets very personal. That gets involved. And then for paideia, training in righteousness, the child training discipline in righteousness, like we saw. That discipline for the moment that seems not to be joyful, but afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Why is it that discipline and righteousness are so connected? That's how... We receive this experiential righteousness, okay? You know, we, we, we know how we get the positional righteousness, right? How is righteousness imputed to our account? We believe in Jesus Christ. We get saved. And so at the moment of our salvation, we have the judicial imputation of our positional righteousness. Well, how do we receive the experiential righteousness? The righteousness of the uh, outworking of our salvation, the righteousness of our uh, the sanctification. How do we get that righteousness? Discipline. It's the, the Father's discipline in our lives that produces that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Anyway, this is what we're going to see here as a theme in uh, wisdom. So we have the wisdom terminology. We have the instruction terminology. We have the prudence terminology. As I get back to Proverbs 1 now, the prudence terminology. 
That sounds an awful lot like wisdom. And in English, they're rather interchangeable or they're rather related, right? I mean, a, 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 somebody who's prudent, we wouldn't say that they're foolish. We'd say that they're wise. It just seems to be another word for wise, doesn't it? Is there a, is there a shade of difference between somebody who's wise and somebody who is prudent? I think so. I think there's a context that where we would use wisdom or we would use prudence. I think prudence is a, is a more narrow form of wisdom. I think it's a, it's a specific subset of wisdom, at least in the English usage, and I think the Hebrew terminology carries out as well. Uh, we have orma and arum. Orma and arum. And this is where you have to kind of learn how to choke to pronounce the lion letter. You close your throat, lion, orma, or larum. And so uh, orma is number 6195, and uh, larum is number 6175. I'm pretty sure that's right. I double-checked that. It's unusual to have them so far off like that, but I believe that's the case. Eleven times in Proverbs, and remarkably enough, most of them are negative. This is a term, and we studied this in our craftiness study in, back in Second Corinthians. Um, depending on its context, depending on who's doing it, this could be an unbeliever. This could be uh, Satan. This could be, uh, this, is, this could be crafty in a very perverted way, crafty in a very wicked way. We don't want to be crafty, but we do want to be prudent. And the Hebrew will use the same term for both expressions. The Hebrew will use, for example, in Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more arum than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He was crafty. We think, ooh, I don't want to be crafty, right? That sounds devious, that sounds ugly, that sounds bad. Well, there are positive uses of orum. There are positive uses of orum, of uh, orma, okay? And I think this is what we are taught in the New Testament. Jesus spoke about this, right? To be shrewd as serpents, yet harmless as doves. Shouldn't we have a shrewdness uh, we, didn't we see this? We saw this in Romans on Sunday, right? To be innocent in uh, evil, in our thinking, be mature. Um, how about Ezekiel 28? See, I believe craftiness is a corrupted prudence. Craftiness is a corrupted prudence. The reason why he's so crafty is because when he was created, he was the pinnacle of wisdom. He was the wisest being ever created as Halel ben Shachar in Isaiah, or as Chotham Tachanoth of Ezekiel 28.17. This was part of our angelology study last year. Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection. You are Chotham Tachanith, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. The pinnacle of Chachma, the pinnacle of wisdom, was Satan. And it goes on to describe his fall. You get down to verse 17 here, what does it say? Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. He didn't lose his wisdom. He didn't all of a sudden just stop being wise. Can you can you not know stuff you used to know? Yeah, you can forget knowledge, but you can... You can forsake wisdom, and worse, you can pervert wisdom. And we have the perversion here, the corruption of wisdom. This is why I think the, uh, it's, it's uh, fairly common that uh, serial murderers, serial killers, these, these psychopaths you read about, they're genius. Many of them are genius-level IQs. But, the, but it's twisted, it's perverted, it's corrupted. If you've ever read biographies on Jeffrey Dahmer or... or uh, um, Ted Bundy, Gacy, any of these guys, right? I don't recommend. I've, I've read all of them. I've read, used to be a hobby of mine. But the brilliant minds twisted into realms of darkness. All right. So as we come across it in Proverbs, we have to. We're not just bailed out in terms of uh, vocabulary. Sometimes it's used for the right kind of wisdom, for prudence. And uh, other times it's used in a craftiness, and uh, it, it should be fairly obvious every time we come across it which one we're looking at. All right, knowledge. 
knowledge terminology. Da'ath is the noun, or yadat is the verb. Yadat means to know. Da'ath is uh, the content of what you know, or your knowledge. Y-A-D-A, yadat. Always made me think of Yoda. Just grew up with Star Wars and think that little green guy in the swamp, Yoda, seemed to have a lot of knowledge. Yoda terminology. All right, yadat. Number 3045 is a Strong's number for the verb, yadat. And then um, da'ath, D A apostrophe, A T H, da'ath. Again, you've got to close your throat for that lion. Da'ath, or yadat. 71 times in Proverbs between the verb and the noun. Now, remarkably enough, we finally get to knowledge in verse 4. It's not front-loaded. Wisdom is front-loaded. Discernment, instruction and wise behavior. We have sayings to discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction and wise behavior. Righteousness justice and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. So here's our knowledge terminology. We finally get to it here in verse 4. I, I find that remarkable. Why is that not front-loaded? Why is that not front? Isn't, it, isn't the secret just to shove as much knowledge into them as we can so they know more than the next guy? Well, they're never going to know all of it. There's, there's something more important than knowledge, and that's attitudinal. It's attitudinal before they can receive knowledge and use knowledge in the right way to whereby it becomes wisdom. All right? I think that you want to have a measure of wisdom as you start compiling more and more knowledge so that that too adds to the wisdom. Okay? And if you think back, I think back to, you know, my last 10 sins. None of them were because of, of a knowledge deficiency. All right? Think back to your last sin. And when you committed that sin, was it because you didn't know any better? Chances are you knew full good and well what you were doing. It's not a knowledge issue. If it was a knowledge issue and you didn't know any better, then it's just simply a sin of omission or a sin of, of ignorance. And you can't think back to it right now because the Lord hasn't uh, given you that information yet. <laughs> All right, so yadat and da'ath. 71 times in Proverbs, and we'll encounter this uh, again and again. Um, knowledge itself doesn't solve anything. You've got to put your knowledge together with the right use of that knowledge. And this is where it turns into discernment or it turns into discretion or um, different applications there. Then we have our discretion terminology. Under point E, the discretion terminology. Mazima. Mazima. That's kind of a fun one. Eight times in Proverbs. Uh, also, sometimes it's corruptible. Sometimes there's a satanic application of Mazima. M E Z I M M A H. Mazima. 4209. Eight uses in Proverbs. And the positive uses, like we have here in Proverbs 1 4, discretion. You know, sometimes. Wisdom is applied not only in what you do, but also in the discretion of what you don't do. <laughs> also in the better part of valor when you step back and don't say something, or don't do something, or um, let something pass for the moment. All right, As love covers a multitude of, of sins, it's not like you're excusing it, but you are for the moment not making a big deal out of something and hopefully providing for a fruit-bearing opportunity in the meantime. All right. We can look at these. Um, Proverbs 1.4 already. It's in the purpose clause for the book. Proverbs 2.11. This is where uh, part of the uh, exhortation to children uh, to listen to uh, your parents and the wisdom that's coming to you from Scripture Ultimately, you're listening to mom and dad, but it's the Lord in verse 6 who gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. All the parental 
uh, words are coming. They're not making the stuff up. They're reflecting what they learned from God himself. And so as you do this, there's positive benefits. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. God's involved in your daily walk. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Again, more of the vocabulary we've already listed here. You got the chachma will enter your heart and da'ath will be pleasant to your soul. Then it goes on to say discretion. And here's our mazima. Mazima will guard you. What do I got to be guarded for? The soul needs to be guarded. Absolutely. It's not just a practical thing. It's not just, well, you know, how do I choose the right career? How do I choose the right woman? How do I choose about earthly stuff? It comes down to your soul. Not only making right choices in life, but, but um, protecting your soul in that process. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. And we've got the understanding terminology coming up next under point F the understanding terminology. And they're both here. Guarding you and watching over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. Because see, what happens when you're out of the home? What happens when your parents aren't there? What happens when you're out of church? You know, your pastor's not following you around seven days a week. All right. Four or five days a week is most I can handle. No, I'm not following anybody around. I'm joking. All right. I don't follow anybody around. I, I pull my hair out chasing 100 people 100 different directions. All right, so what do you do? You teach the Word of God. And the Word of God is implanted. The, with humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to do what? Able to save your soul. That's what we're talking about here. To deliver you. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. It's internalized within your own soul. To rescue you, as it says in James, or save you, or to deliver you, as it says here, from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. There's a crowd going the wrong way. All right. That's the application in chapter 2. Over to chapter 3. Again, it's an uh, admonition to, from parents to children. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, as verse 13, and the man who gains understanding. Her profit is better than profit of silver, her gain better than fine gold. You know, when you launch your children into the world and they enter into adult accountability, what, what is the skill set you want them to have? Is it uh, financial? Is it wisdom? All right. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. I thought that was gone when, the, when we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. <laughs> all right. Happy are all those who hold her fast. That's a good verse for those that worship at the altar of happiness. I deserve to be happy. That's, well, then why are you pursuing Satan's wisdom? Happiness comes from him. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. So he's not just throwing these things out there expecting us to do this. He modeled it himself in the things that he does and the way that he does it. All right. My son, let them not... Verse 21 now, Proverbs 3. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. In other words, don't just learn a Bible verse and forget it. Don't just, uh, you know, don't just uh, receive some wisdom and then cast it behind you and go do your thing. Constantly keep it before you. Don't be like the man that looks in the mirror and then, you know, forgets what kind of man he was, forgets what he looked like. So much of this is, if there's a reason why Proverbs and James are so <laughs> connected, all right? Let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so there will be life in your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. As long as your eyes focus where they're supposed to be, like Peter looking at the Lord, takes his eyes off the Lord, he starts to sink. Okay? Out there walking on the water. And then uh, chapter 5. 
My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, smoother than oil is her speech. It gets very practical with wisdom as you guard your lips and look out for her lips and <laughs> other things here, where it gets to the point where this discretion is going to benefit you. This is our discretion terminology. Finally, Proverbs 8.12. You need that discretion, because without it, it's a protection against the seduction. Proverbs 8 in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. I think the damage done in our culture to this permissive society we're under, whereby uh, love is misdefined and hate is misdefined, where you can't hate the uh, what God hates because you have to be you have to love them, and they have this bad definition of love. Anyway, we'll deal with that. Like prudence, discretion is often corrupted into wicked scheming, and there's three examples of that also in Proverbs, so we should be aware of those negative examples, like Proverbs 12, 2. Uh, a good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. And it does use the term for prudence, but because it's connected there with uh, evil, it's pretty clear then that that's a negative use of discretion. And God's going to be in hostility against that. Uh, in chapter 14 and verse 17, we've got another negative use. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Again, it's discernment, but it's, or it's discretion, but it's discretion that's directed towards a, uh, an evil uh, objective. A man of evil devices is hated. And then the last use is 24.8. wisdom is too exalted for a fool he does not open his mouth in the gate one who plans to do evil men will call a schemer a schemer and there's our term for discretion and then finally the understanding terminology here is bean think about tilford bean tilford and l bean right b-i-y-n bean not how they spelled it but that's how it sounds Bean and Binah. Bean is number 995. Binah is 998. Between Bean and Binah, you've got a total of 47 uses in the Proverbs. Understanding. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with your wisdom, acquire understanding. We want to understand says, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their, and their riddles. You say, well, what's the difference between knowledge and understanding? There's a depth of difference. You can know a whole lot of things, but not understand why. <laughs> All right. I know... I have an academic knowledge. I know that um, testing will produce growth, but I don't understand why this testing at this time is necessary in the plan of God. (laughs) You understand? We can know a lot without understanding, and yet he wants us to have the understanding. He wants us to be fully on board with not just what's happening, but why. The purpose for it. How is it, how's it uh, being used? What is, the, uh, what is the objective of this? Why did Jesus suffer? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. There was a purpose for it. We want to know that. We want to understand that. It's, um, it's really shallow if you just simply know something. Oh, God said so. Okay, fine. Well... You'll reach a point where God says so will leave you short because you're going to cry out for understanding. God says so. Well, why? What is that? What's the purpose of that? What's the total picture on that? Understanding is 
if you don't have it, then your limit, your knowledge is going to be impaired. It's going to be limited, and you may plunge into resentment. Because if you don't have the understanding, you may fall for Satan's lie that says there is no purpose for it. <laughs> okay? He's a tyrant. He just did so because he hates you. He did so because he's not fair. It's not right. Satan will say, I agree with you. You shouldn't go through that. You've been good. You've served God. Who does he think he is? And if you don't have the understanding as well as the knowledge, you can fall for that line of satanic trash. Okay. Well, those are the terms. And we have completed the introduction. So next week we'll come back. Lord willing, Rapture Penny. Is next week? Yes. Two weeks we have VBS. No uh, Proverbs class in two weeks. But we will have a class next week. And so we'll um, back up and introduce Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Proverbs 1.1, starting next week. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.